Hey ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. I'm your host, Jared Weich. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. And it's State of Play edition today. The State of Play. Or, as some people on Twitter might call it, the State of Oy Vey, I guess. <laughs> Oy Vey, you know, you've heard that. Uh, what is it called? There's like is um, a... Is that a positive term? <laughs> no, it's like when it's like it's like uh, if something happened, you're like, oh goodness, like oh oy vey, like oh, oh no, kind indicating of. dismay or grief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, there's a word for like um like Jewish colloquialisms or or shorthand. What is it called? Losing me. Anyways, it's episode two sixty eight. We are talking about the state of play. Got plenty of news to cover. Um. A lot of Japanese stuff uh, in the quickie news section. Then we're going to be talking about the state of play as a whole. And then we'll get to what we've been playing because I do have stuff to actually talk about finally. of stuff I've played. Um, what else? I think that's pretty much it. We talked about maybe next by the next week's podcast last week that uh, we're going to be covering the state of play hopefully. And it happened. Now here's hoping that the second part of Jeff Grubb's uh, whole spiel of the showcase happens as well. But first up, we got some sad news. Rest in peace, Toru Okada. If that name isn't familiar to you, Toru Okada is a musician and music producer responsible for creating PlayStation's iconic logo sound. He passed away at the age of 73. Just wanted to shout him out and say thank you, Okada-san, for giving the world one of its most memorable sounds. If you've ever watched a PlayStation television commercial, whenever the logo comes up and you hear that sound, he made it. Obviously... Uh, from an outside perspective of like non-creatives, like, oh, he just made a simple sound. But a lot of stuff, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of oh yeah, uh, back and forth with companies goes into that stuff. And yeah, it may sound like a simple sound, but I mean, it's kind of withstood the test of time. So shout out to him. Um, yeah, that that's one thing too. You, you know, we talked about, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, um, the guy that worked at Respawn, who was responsible for getting narrative into the first Titanfall, that's starting his new studio or starting a studio with other people. How we don't often talk about like level designers in the games industry. I think far too often as well, we don't talk about the composers. Like we've mentioned, like Mick Gordon and some other people, but I do think that um, the people responsible for making a lot of the the most nostalgic and memorable sounds in the gaming industry need a, a better spotlight because I don't think they get enough of that. Um, so. Shout There's out to Toru Okada. A lot of unsung heroes, I feel like. Yeah. Unironically, unsung yeah. heroes. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. my bad. <laughs> Pun not intended. Uh, uh, next up, we have some uh, positive optimistic news. This comes by way of Oisin Kunki over at GameSpot.com. Konami coming back in a big way? Question mark. A new report claims that Konami is planning to reveal a new Castlevania and Metal Gear Solid 3 remake at this year's E3. According to Andy Robinson speaking on the VGC podcast, but by the way, this is their first episode. What a way to launch a podcast, right? With a scoop about Castlevania and Metal Gear coming back. Um, I lost my spot real quick. Konami is planning to have a pretty big E3, claiming that a new Castlevania is set to appear alongside the much-rumored Metal Gear Solid 3 remake. There's a new Castlevania in addition to the new Dead Cells DLC they announced at the Game Awards, Robinson explained. And there's this much dis- there's this much discussed Metal Gear Solid 3 remake, which I also expect them to finally show. In terms of older Metal Gear Solid games potentially being playable on modern platforms, Robertson said that as of one year or two years ago, being able to do some in-shape or form was in the cards, 
but it's now less clear. What the situation is, I quote, could imagine that Metal Gear Solid 3, the remake, is going to be somewhat of a test bed for Konami in that regard. Robinson also noted how Konami is, quote, opening up to collaborating with more developers, end quote, though it is unclear what he was talking about specifically outside of Silent Hill series and the previously mentioned Dead Cells DLC. Um, lastly, some kind of Metal Gear Solid 3 remake has been rumored for a long while now, but there's been no official comment from Konami on the matter. I looked into it and the rumors are stating that a, a studio named Virtuos or Virtuous is developing it. Um, they're basically a support studio that's worked on a bunch of stuff. Um, they've worked on The Outer Worlds, they've worked on Dark Souls 3, like okay. a lot. They've just, they've just been a support studio for a lot of AAA releases over the years. So hopefully if that's the case, maybe this is their time to shine, uh, like we hope with Bluepoint, um, which is good to mention here because people are speculating maybe Bluepoint is the one making the new Castlevania or Metal Gear Solid 3 remake. Who knows? Um, as somebody myself who's unfamiliar with Metal Gear, the Metal Gear Solid franchise, Dom, I was like, why wouldn't they just start with the first Metal Gear Solid? I am having mush mouth today. The first Metal Gear Solid, why would they start with three? And I looked into it because, like I said, I, I'm not too familiar with the lore and everything. Canonically, three takes place first in the timeline. So it would make sense that if they're introducing the franchise to a new audience, a modern audience, you start with the one that comes chronologically first and then go from there. So that's why the assumption anyway is that it's Metal, Metal, Metal Gear Solid 3. I'm it's gonna, a tongue twister. Call me in my dreams. I'm pretty excited and interested because like I said, I've never touched the franchise, but a modern remake of that one, knowing that it's chronologically the first one, I'm very intrigued. I'm I'm curious to see who the developer is, what the scope of it is. And a new Castlevania, we don't know if it's 2D or 3D. I'm very curious about that too because we've seen over the last decade a lot of indie studios tackle Metroidvanias and deliver. And it's unclear how inventive this needs to be in the genre because recently we got Metroid Dread, which is not necessarily paint by the numbers, but it's not doing anything too drastically different than from the classic Metroid formula. And it was a hit and people loved it. So it's not to say that a new Castlevania can't come out and maybe stick to what people expect from it and not deliver. Uh, what does this rumor do to you as somebody who I'm assuming like me isn't super attached to either Castlevania or Metal, Metal Gear Solid? Um, for, for Metal Gear, it's uh, I'm in a similar spot because I've never touched any of those games. And... Starting at three, that's good to know what you explained. Um, the reason for that being, because I have that same thought of like, why, why start with three? What the heck, guys? That's, <laughs> um, but I'm more concerned with like the story. Like, can they remake that in a way that makes it more accessible and not? I feel like well, it's, so. It's, or it's, this is, let me let me mention this too. Apparently, metal, metal. Good lord, I can't say metal. Metal Gear Solid 3 has like definitively the best narrative of all the games. So okay. my assumption from that is that it is the most coherent and understandable of the bunch. And sure. it probably drifts off from there in Kojima fashion. And hopefully not needing a whole lot of other context. Like you don't need to understand things from the other games. Like it's standalone, I would hope. Um, yeah. That would be important. That would be really most important to me. Even if like the gameplay was great and it looked great, like, I'd be like, yeah, but what the heck's going on? Because that was that was my my gripe with Death Stranding, um, which was super obviously another um, Kojima game, but 
really in innovative gameplay that that pulled me in in a way I didn't expect. But then it actually really cool characters, a really cool world, and all these cool concepts that I put together and put forth. But then by the last third of the story, I had no idea what the heck was happening. Um, really, the last like four or three, the last like ten percent, it just was like turned into mubbly gook nonsense, and I. It was, I don't know, it kind of ruined the ending there and the experience of it, knowing that, like, that's that's what happened, I guess. And I had to try to, even trying to look up what happened after finishing that game, I still didn't understand it fully. More questions and answers after yeah. doing additional research, yeah. It, it was weird. Um, so that's what I worry about if Metal Gear games are similar. Um, hopefully at least three, the one they're remaking, um, has a better story throughout. And maybe I'd be interested. I'm much more interested in this Castlevania game because I think it would be easy or wiser, rather, for them to make it a 3D game. Like, picture basically Dark Souls, but less, little less of a little less RPG, a little more action, but obviously the same. Um, you know, you're unlocking shortcuts. Uh, maybe a little more emphasis on getting new items, unlock new areas, that kind of stuff. Um, but do that in like a super gothic, you know, Castlevania setting. Like, I I feel like that would be a huge hit if if you did. You don't even have to like reinvent the wheel. You just have to basically do what, uh, basically make God of War Ragnarok, um, but with a Castlevania setting. And even the story's probably not going to be as good as God of War or whatever. But um, as long as it looks great, feels great, and plays great, like I think that would be a hit. Um, 2D obviously would be um, probably a little easier uh, to accomplish and less budget and all that kind of stuff too but I feel I just feel like we've gotten so many of those we've gotten so many great uh, 2D Metroidvanias recently obviously Ho- Hollow Knight um, what did you just met uh, Dead Cells is I guess I feel like Metroid Dread rope. yeah Metroid Dread um, Ori the Ori games there, there's Ori, a ton man Guacamelee there's a bunch um, in the past like decade especially like that genre, that two D um, Metroidvania genre is like flush with games. I feel like, whereas there's less in the three D space for that. It's, that's going to be harder to do. But I feel like you're Konami, and this is Castlevania. Like you should be the ones to, you should do it. Like you should, you, you know what I mean? Make like let this be your moment and go all in and make a badass three D Castlevania game. I think that'd be sick. One, it's just a franchise that I think has been underutilized because we saw how successful the animated show on Netflix is, which I've watched, I think, the first two seasons, and it's good. It's it's phenomenal. Um, And I, I honestly hope it goes to a place where they treat Castlevania, I was going to say like Legend of Zelda or Mario, but hopefully better than what Nintendo's done recently with those two, but in that there's a 3D vertical and a 2D vertical, and we get those ever so often, and they kind of go back and forth on those. I think that would be really dope. Um. But I am with you that I would be more excited to see what a 3D Castlevania could look like in the modern era than a 2D one. Not that the 2D one wouldn't be dope and it'd get me hype and I'd want to play it, but that's more intriguing for me. So we'll see what happens. Plus, we literally just had um, like one of the original guys who, uh, you know, made Castlevania. I can't think of his name. Made Bloodstained. um, Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, which was basically in the 2D castlevania sequel right that we haven't had in a long time so not that they, they couldn't do something different and equally good or better than that but like just go 3d 
be be big, be bold. Let's go. Yeah, and the weird thing about this is the E3 thing. Like at this year's E3, in my opinion, I think this might be a loss in translation thing. Of I think it's going to appear like a PlayStation showcase or an Xbox event or even maybe Nintendo. I don't see where this would. Maybe even Jeff Keighley's event for Summer Games Fest, but specifically E3, I don't know where they would even pop up because Konami's yeah. not going to hold their own event. You know what I mean? So that's yeah, the very that weird be a, part. A translation thing, like the timing is is E three based, but not well, that maybe it does. Twice. It doesn't reveal itself at E three, but it is at E three playable. One of them, or sure. Something. I don't know. Good point. Yeah, but that that part's just a little iffy for me. That's the one part that I'm like, I don't know if this is entirely 100 percent accurate. We just talked about two franchises that are a little out of both of our wheelhouses, but man, we got a, an announcement this week that couldn't be more in in Dom's wheelhouse. This is like the Dom announcement. Blumhouse is entering the gaming industry. Oh, yeah. Beloved and successful horror filmmaker Blumhouse has launched a new subsidiary to produce and publish video games, Blumhouse Games. It will partner with independent game developers to bring their creative visions to life via original horror-themed games for console, PC, and mobile devices. In the spirit of its film business, Blumhouse Games will target indie budget games below $10 million to enable innovation and push creative boundaries. It's all you. How do you feel about this announcement? This is sick. This is awesome. Um, I'm all like, I feel like every time that horror game comes out over a year of like, we're all over it. Like, seeing what it is, are we going to be into it? That kind of thing. Um, like, I feel like we're really, especially I'm lately, like, even getting into the, the more indie depths of of the genre. Like, like, oh, I still, I still think about Visage every once in a while and how cool that game was. Um. I don't know if you can make that for ten million. Maybe I'm not sure. That's a good question. Actually, you probably could because I think only two guys made that one. Um, but yeah, this is awesome. Like, I want let's let's get more horror games. Um, whatever that means. Obviously, Blumhouse, you know, makes a lot of movies that are spooky. But um, so they have some idea of what's cool. I I like the details around this though. The using different developers. They're not going to try to build up their own team internally or something and pretend they know what they're doing. You know, they're doing the the Marvel approach that we, we so often talk about of, yeah, let's see who we can find, who we think, you know, has a good idea or can do something cool. And, you know, and, you know, smaller chunks of money. Like, But also to me, that's interesting too, because that should mean um, a quicker development cycle, potentially. Because that's part of the cost. If you're taking too long, you're going to eat up your 10 million really fast, right? So, even though like this just got announced, like hopefully we start seeing some of these games come out, um, maybe in a couple years or something would be would be really cool. So I, I'm I'm hyped for this. Like some indie horror games, like that are going to probably get good marketing too. Um, I would hope so. Being from Blumhouse, right? It's not like you're trying you're having to like dig through the the Steam store to find the the hidden gems that you know. The small developer couldn't pay to market. I, I would hope that this gets some uh, these games get some push too from Blumhouse. I think it's a, a smart strategy too to come in and kind of target a, numerous projects at smaller budgets as opposed to like wasting your entire initial budget on like a singular game that you're yeah. hoping and praying that you put all this marketing budget behind and then it flops and then guess what? There's no more Blumhouse game publishing, right? So I think it's a smarter approach because if you spread the wealth like that you have a higher chance of getting hits that people have. And then if you 
end up building a partnership with a specific studio that has a hit game. You can build on that with sequels or additional games, and you can just go from there. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the future we start hearing about after some successful projects, Blumhouse Games acquires X developer or whatever, and then they start kind of building their own thing underneath themselves. I mean, because if you look at the gaming space, I would say the closest thing to A24, what A24 is for films, would be Annapurna Interactive. And now we didn't really have that for the horror space, and now we have that with Blumhouse Games, so that's dope. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of times, too, some of the best indie horror games come out on Steam. They're hot for a moment, and then people kind of stop talking about them because they are made from these smaller indie studios. But even just having the name Blumhouse attached to a game regardless of its quality gives it more light in the sun for not only awards but for sales and all that stuff as as a, much of a bummer of that reality is i think this is great because if i'm them too i would go and start targeting um i would either a look for horror games that are already in development that look really good that you can attach blumhouse to right good point yeah. um, because then that gets the ball rolling a lot quicker than the two years we'd assume for game development but then also look at games that recently released from horror devs and be like have you started your next project yet? And if they haven't, work with them to figure out what that next project is. And if they have, get a sneak peek at it and see if maybe you want to attach yourself to the wagon early on. So I think there's a bunch of avenues here where they can tackle it. So we'll see what happens. Especially with horror being such a smaller niche genre in games, you know that Blumhouse is going to commit to it because that's their whole shtick in film. It's not like it's not like uh, A24, for instance, making a horror game publisher. That'd be a little weird of like, I don't know if you're going to be fully committed to this, but like Blumhouse, that they are horror, so it's super fitting there. Next up, speaking of horror games, we got a bit of bad news, um, but it seems like it was written in the sand. Shinji Mikami is leaving Tango Gameworks. The famed director of Resident Evil and Dino Crisis, who served as the founder and CEO of Xbox's Tango Gameworks, is leaving the studio. Uh, Bethesda and Phil Spencer have both confirmed since, uh, wishing him the best in the future. If this seems like it's all out of the blue and all of a sudden, it, that actually isn't the case. So in 2019, there was a report that Mikami already planned to leave the company to be part of a new studio at Capcom called M2. And this is where the boy Imran Khan comes in, former game journalist now working at, a, I think, a Japanese game publisher or something. He, he stated, My understanding is that Mikami was always hesitant to leave Tango Gameworks because he thought the studio would get shut down without him as a buffer. I guess now he's more confident in it with the larger within the larger Microsoft portfolio. So that all kind of ties together the rumor of him possibly leaving in 2019, but staying because he was worried the studio was going to get shut down without him, which is a pretty dope move on his part because he could have totally left him not worried about it. Like he is changing Mikami. Right. He's going to be fine the rest of his life. It's not like but he, his responsibility he, to make sure that that studio lives beyond him. Exactly. And I wonder if a part of that is maybe that was the reason why Tango Gameworks was open to, uh, like, they were down with Bethesda getting bought and stuff. Not that they had much of a say, but I think him hearing Bethesda was getting purchased by Microsoft maybe helped him out of, like, oh, thank God I can have a breath of relief. I also think it's cool that he knew he was his announcement of leaving was going to come soon, but he still appeared in the video for Hi-Fi Rush which I think is cool because he knew that that led credibility to that game, despite him probably not even touching it at all. Uh, he knew that just his appearance there would help that team. And uh, obviously with Hi-Fi Rush being a success, I think we shouldn't worry about the future of Tango Gameworks. And with Shinji Mikami, he's already done a bunch of stuff in the industry. And I think it's, it's a bummer when you see these legends of the industry leaving these studios. But at the same time, Dom, we've mentioned this before, 
a younger talent needs to be able to rise to the surface and create stuff. And I want to see what the Evil Within looks like without him. We already know that they have this budding new franchise with Hi-Fi Rush, which is dope that isn't even in the horror genre. So it is a bummer to see, but I think I'm excited for the future of Tango Gameworks with this, you know, new blood, the new class, as you would. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good point. Is that we know the names we know, um, but people are going to move on and, and you may be in retire or whatever it is eventually. So it's, we, we got to like, yeah, do a better job of, um, but like you're always doing is, is actually looking into who's working on what and like who are the actual people that are directing and designing and making these games. Um, and not just the, you know, the, the four or five names of game directors that we do know. The Neil like, Druckmans, the Corey Barlugs right. of the world. The, no the, disrespect. The they're great, but like we need to know about everyone else too. Uh, yeah, so yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, let's see that new blood. Shout out Shinji Mikami. Hopefully whatever you do next is dope. Probably going to get the bag. Congratulations. Because, um, I mean, if I was a publisher, I'd be like, hey, you want to you wanna come over and make a horror game? It's kind of like the Blumhouse thing. Like, just his name being attached is going to give you so much, uh, so much spotlight on you. Speaking of spotlights, let's talk about the topic of the show. PlayStation State of Play for February 23rd, 2023. 22323 on the date card. This is via PlayStation. So this week, we finally received the rumored early 2023 State of Play that Giant Bomb's Jeff Grubb believed was on its way. PlayStation set expectations correctly. That's me, in my opinion. Uh, stating that in the 45-minute presentation, we'd see a handful of PSVR 2 titles, third-party and indie games coming to PlayStation platforms, and an extended 15-minute gameplay demo of Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League by Rocksteady Studios. Let's get into it. So we're going to start with the PSVR stuff, then the indies, then the third party, then Suicide Squad at the end. Because um, Dom is a DC boy, so I'm very curious to hear his opinions on what we saw. First up, the PSVR 2 titles. We got the Foglands, which looked like a spooky gothic shooter. It's coming this year. Uh, I'm going to go through all of them, then we can talk about maybe it as a whole or whatever one's caught our eye. Uh, Green Hell VR, which is like a primitive survival experience coming in 2023. This uh, Green Hell was a popular survival game on PC for a hot minute. I don't know whatever happened to it. It kind of had its moment and left. So them having a VR experience here makes sense. Synapse, uh, I described it as a psychological noir sci-fi shooter. Um, Very much black and white with pops of color. That's also coming this year. Um, Journey to Foundation, um, which I think is part of the Expanse world or something um i'm not too sure there it's a vr experience they were they were lauding the the franchise that it was a part of and i'm only like the one season into the expanse television show so i'm not sure if this is also a part of that or not uh, and lastly before your eyes which is coming march 10th uh this is a previously released vr game this one i think in my opinion was a showpiece of the five this is an interactive afterlife where blinking moves time forward and also won bafta uh, bafta award which is in of itself pretty astounding it looked really cool. It looked very emotional. It looked like if you play this, you're probably going to cry because it is you going through your life uh, after you've died and the looming thread in the back of your mind that this voice is telling you, this like Fox thing, is that there's something you want to skip past and not relive again. So seems like a very emotional journey. Um, overall, it was fine. I don't think it sold people on PSVR 2 that weren't already interested, but before your eyes, I think if you already have a PSVR 2, like if you pre-ordered and you have it, I think that's the one of like, oh, dope, March, I get a new experience that I'm excited for. Other than that, none of them really did much for me. Uh, what about you? What did you think about this PSVR 2 section? 
Yeah, I thought I thought the Foglands looked pretty cool. Something about like what like one of those villains like that creepy smile with his teeth. I don't know, but the the aesthetic and the vibe vibe check. Um, something about it was cool to me. But that being said, I'm kind of with you overall. Where like a lot of these games kind of felt similar. It felt like the same first person shooter. Like, and they don't show very well. You know when they try to show off the reload mechanic and it's so clunky and it's obviously someone's hands so they're jittery and um and i'm still like the, the no arms thing is always going to trip me up but if the vr games are just really difficult to showcase right then that proved to be the same the, the same thing today because nothing really kind of stood out as like you know well we got to get this system right this 550 dollars system um but they're obviously like it's probably good they're they're clearly doing the best they can um with what they have like um so hopefully that just gets better uh, if they want this thing to last long term and for them to i gotta assume at this point they're still in the red for all of vr stuff i would bet you know if thinking about the r d for the devices and that probably the money they spent on um uh, publishing some of these games and stuff like that I gotta think they're struggling like VR hasn't paid them back yet so hopefully they continue to um, in my opinion just dig deeper and like properly invest into it and hopefully that gets the turnaround because if you only go halfway if you, you can't this isn't something you could half-ass because then it's you really got to get it out there and into people's hands and that's why the price of the unit was such a bummer um, for me because that's I think you got to take a bigger loss on something like this to get it out there. And then once it's out there, it with enough volume, then you know people can start to believe in it, and like developers will want to start making games for it. But I don't know. I got a lot of work to do still. I think even though some of these games look kind of neat, it still doesn't feel like it's going to be enough. Yeah, and you know we we often have the conversation of game pricing and you know the length of a game, and is that fair for a, a game that maybe is like a six hours to be $60 or $70 now. And with VR, that conversation gets even tighter because sometimes you're paying that much money for like a two hour experience, which is even wilder on top of the $500 you drop for the hardware itself. So it's tough. Um, you know, people are going to complain of like, none of this got me to want to buy a PSVR two. I am, in my opinion, I don't think these five games were for the people who didn't buy it. I think these five, coming days after it released are for the people who did buy it of like don't worry some games are coming for the thing you just spent $500 on um, but they do eventually need to have that presentation where it is hey you don't own one yet you need to own one so we'll see what happens hopefully we see Half-Life Alex at like the showcase or something it's gotta be any day now they're gonna announce next up we got the indies so we got Chia which is finally getting a release date March 21st 2023 this is the open island game where you morph into animals as this little girl and explore the the world around you. It looks really fun. We've seen this game numerous times. I think people are just waiting for it to finally come out. I think the big thing here is they announced day and date. It's launching into PlayStation Plus Premium and Extra, which is really cool. So we're starting to see the small bits of games launching into... What was the last one that launched into Stray, right? Like major one anyways. There might have been... Yeah, there might have been a different one since then. That was smaller, but Stray was one. They definitely made a big deal about coming into PS Extra. Yeah, so 
looks fun. Looks really cute. This is a game I'd totally play if it hopped into to Game Pass. So I'm hoping the same thing is for PlayStation Plus subscribers if they give it a chance. I think it, it looks really creative and, and fun. And the music is so engaging. Like if you loved Moana or, or you know, Encanto, any of those Disney movies, it definitely feels in that vibe of just there's going to be some darkness to it. But hopefully there's a lot of optimism with the little girl. And give me a game where I can turn to an animal and you already had me 50% sold. Um, next up, Humanity. So this is by Enhance. That developer name might not sound familiar to you, but they actually developed Tetris Effect and Res Infinite, two very beloved arcade-style games. Um, you're basically like a light wolf, and you're guiding dozens of humans through puzzle-based levels. Um, they also showed off that you can, like, make levels or something. It was a very obtuse trailer, in my opinion. The cool thing was they showed that it's optional. there's optional gameplay for both PSVR 1 and 2, which is cool. That's coming out May 2023. Um... I think this is a game that would benefit launching into PlayStation Plus um, because I, I think you're going to have a hard time selling people on just like the weirdness of it. Uh, despite, because like even though Tetris Effect is more of an arcadey game, like you don't need to explain to people what Tetris is, right? It's like, oh, this is Tetris with the dope like volumetric fog and weird flashing lights and like all, all this crazy stuff going on on screen at the, uh, you know, in high fidelity. Whereas, like, this Humanity game, it's, like, this honestly looks like it's in the vein of, like, a journey or something where it's a bit harder of a sell. So, we'll see. What do you think of Humanity? Anything? Yeah, it was odd. Um, I don't think it quite got what was going on. But uh, it's interesting. Yeah, so this is another part, yeah, part of it is, is VR, too. So, that's cool. It made me think of um, they might be wise to start passing out VR games to some of these PlayStation Plus tiers also. <laughs> That might be that might be a good strategy because they used to do that. I think I might be wrong about that, but maybe it was just more ad hoc. Every once in a while, one of the monthly games was a VR game. But the yeah, the they, gameplay actually gave me shades of Catherine. I don't know if you got that. Do you remember Catherine? I know I've seen what that game looked like. That Where was like, like there's like the, the, the platforms that you have to like hop on and move around. Yeah, um, yeah. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Shades of that, point. anyways. Hopefully, I don't like real humanity, this game doesn't let us down. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Uh, next up, Goodbye Volcano High. Finally returning. This game was at the PlayStation 5 reveal event, Dom. There's only two games from that event that haven't released yet. Little Devil Inside and Goodbye Volcano High. Little Devil Inside apps in here. We could talk about it at the end. <laughs> um, but Goodbye Volcano High, uh, coming-of-age drama with RPG and rhythm game elements. This is coming June 15th, 2023. This is a game I'm actually pretty interested in. Price point will be a major factor for me, um, but I'm I'm down. It It's giving me, you know, teenage drama, uh, Life is Strange vibes, um, and, you know, you give me sentient dinosaurs. And the story actually looked pretty interesting. It's, it's weird. Like, I don't know if the dinosaurs know that the extinction event is coming because they're playing it as if it's like them graduating high school but i wonder if like the inside joke is that it's no it's that they're gonna go extinct by the end of the game which is really sad hmm. yeah yeah this this is cool actually i didn't i didn't realize this was at the ps5 reveal <laughs> like i thought this was a new announcement um it was initially dated for 2021 oh man yeah well glad it's still coming glad they're still they must be getting close by this point, I would hope. Um, it's going to be wild if we didn't see this for two years. 
and then it comes out in June, and it'll come out before Little Devil Inside. That's going to be wild. Yeah, that'd be funny. But I, I like the vibe of this, too. It's not necessarily, you know, what what's typically up my alley, but I kind of thought it was interesting. That being said, it would be a much easier sell if it were on something like Game Pass, for me, at least. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Or if it launched into PlayStation Plus. Yep, same yeah. thing, yeah. Uh, and last we had Wayfinder, the online multiplayer adventure, social hub, looter, hunter, whatever, whatever. Uh, PlayStation exclusive beta coming out at the end of February. It's whatever. It, I wish this would have came earlier in the show. It kind of like killed the killed the vibes of the indie stuff. Um, it was whatever. I don't think it really. It honestly, it's just it's suffering from the like looks like every other indie looter game where it has like the colorful cartoon art style and you're yeah. in armor and. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get to the third-party games. First up, they had a Destiny 2 Lightfall story trailer coming out at the end of February. I'll tell you this much. That trailer got me very interested. There's no shot I'm cool. going back to Destiny 2, but that trailer was so sick. It was. So cool. Um, Bungie continues to deliver. You know, back in the day, all the Halo trailers, it just falls in line of, like, what the hell is going on? The Witness, that weird, like, floating ethereal space creature dude. I don't know. It just looks so dope. They it's know like how a, to deliver a trailer. It's like a whole Death Star thing going on. Um, but that guy, I can't remember that voice actor's name, but he does a lot of the narration in Destiny. He is a character in the Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, Louis Riddick. West games. Riddick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. That dude's voice is just cool. It's like always cool as hell. Like him narrating stuff. It just makes it cool. You could be talking about something so mundane, and it sounds cool. Um, so that he was one of those voices. He was also in that Resident Evil show that got canceled, I think. Okay. Just yeah. Way to pivot to a bummer. Uh, next up, we got Naruto X Baruto Ultimate Ninja Storm Connections anime s anime game coming out twenty twenty three for all you weeaboos. Uh, next up, we got Baldur's Gate three, which looks super cool. It's coming out yes, August thirty first, twenty twenty three. J.K. Simmons plays the primary antagonist, which I thought was super dope. The moment I heard that voice, I was like, is that J.K. Simmons? Uh, this is actually a big get for PlayStation. A lot of people, I think, missed this. This game was originally only set to release for PC, and it coming day and date on PS5. It's not coming to Xbox day and date. Um, so that's that's a huge get for, for PlayStation. Uh, I'm a this... bit bummed by that, if I'm being honest. So I'm like, ah, dang it. And because this game, I'm double-checking now to make sure I'm right before I say this. It's in early access. Okay, but it's developed by the same did the same developer. Yes, Larian Studios, who did Divinity, Divinity. Original Sin, which people yep. absolutely are enamored with who have played it. So obviously Baldur's Gate is a like an old franchise, but the fact that Larian is doing this, I think, only adds to your point that this is a big get. Um I thought it looked cool. It's not that's not necessarily my genre, that kind of like like CRPG style, but um, having had teetered on the edge of, of jumping into Original Sin, Divinity Original Sin 2, but just never did, just never was brave enough to to try that out instead. I, apparently I tried out Persona 5. But nonetheless, um, maybe this is a better jumping in point for that kind of game, because I thought this looked really cool. And then, yeah, J.K. Simmons, like, what else is going on here? Like I'm, And I didn't realize that this was... Uh, for one, early access, like you said, but coming so soon, I didn't uh, kind of forgot about this. So it's coming um, in August. 
Driscoll. So like a year and a half ago, Ben Moore, formerly of Easy Allies, did a preview of this game. And like I'm the same way I've heard, you know, Divinity Original Sin 2, everyone loved it. Baldur's Gate, it's like a classic beloved RPG. And he talked about like the systems in it and just how deep an RPG gets in terms of like your decision making and the dialogue systems. And it's like he described it kind of like a Bethesda game on steroids in the best of ways. So that got me really intrigued. Um, so yeah, I'm very interested to see how this game comes out, especially in a year with Diablo 4 coming out. Or oh, Diablo point. 5, sorry. Is yeah. it 4? 5? 4. 5? Four. 4. Yeah. Not not the same genre necessarily, but they definitely give off the same vibe. So we'll see what happens there. Shout out to PlayStation for securing Baldur's Gate 3. Next up, we got Street Fighter 6. Three fighters revealed, which is crazy. Then when we saw who it was, I was like, okay, it makes sense that they did three at the same time. We got Zangief and Kami, who are returning characters, classic Street Fighter characters. Zangief being the giant brute with the hairy-ass chest, and uh, Kami being... Um, wh- what's the term for it? Uh, the anime wife term that people use. Waifu. Man, it's escaping me. It's like the meme on the internet. Basically, anybody who plays Street Fighter falls in love with Kami, so they're excited to see her return. And I guess a big thing was they showed an animation that she does in the Street Fighter animated movie, uh, and it's returning for this, which is dope, where she like grabs somebody's shoulders, kicks in the air, comes down, kicks him in the back of the knees, and they like fold it onto themselves. So people, Street Fighter fans, were hype about that on social media. And the last one is they introduced a new character, Lily. She was like this very much, um, I don't know if she was, uh, uh, how do you describe it? Like Pacific Islander um, girl who had a connection to animals and stuff. I don't know. She had a really cool vibe that I wouldn't expect to see from a character in a Street Fighter game. Especially this one where Street Fighter 6 is very much like the urban street aesthetic of like fighting in alleyways. And we're tagging up the streets and all of that stuff. She was very refreshing. She was like very lively and bright, which I, I thought was cool. And adds to a roster and makes it more complex than just a bunch of brutes fighting each other. So I thought it was cool. Um, not that I'll probably play Street Fighter Six because I'm I'm ass at at uh, fighting games, um, but yeah, yeah, same here. Like I, like some of those animations and stuff, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. This is also like kind of a hardcore fighting game that I've never been into Street Fighter, so it's it's, it's like that for me too. Next up, Resident Evil Four Remake. Uh, they showcased enemy variety, cast of characters. It's gonna be a special demo soon. Um, as somebody who never played the original Resident Evil Four. A lot of the uh, really? callbacks and yeah, you didn't know that. I'm okay with it. I have no extreme reaction to that whatsoever. Continue. Yeah, I never actually uh, RE2. No, that's a lie. I was gonna say RE2 remake was the first Resident Evil game I played. RE7 was the first Resident Evil game I played. No, RE1 remake or not RE1 remake, but like the I don't know what you'd call it, the remaster. What is it? Yeah. It's more of a remaster, but it's... The one that's yeah. still like a tank controls, that's the first one I played. Hated it. camera. And I played yeah. RE7, beat it. RE2 Remake, played it, beat it. Play, started Village, didn't really like it. And then I never played 3 because it didn't really get great reviews. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It, I should say not Village great reviews. Kinda... It didn't get reviews enough to justify me hopping into it. But yeah, there was a, I think there was a lot of callbacks in here for people who are familiar with the game. Uh, I thought it looked cool. I'm excited for it. I'm actually going to be doing uh, the Resident Evil uh, podcast with friends of the show, Logan and Max, 
and uh, they specifically asked if I wanted to be on the Resident Evil 4 remake one as somebody who's never played it before. So that's going to be exciting. So I'm de- it's definitely a day one for me since I'm going to be a part of their podcast. I think it looked great. And it's been a while. Actually, I haven't played 4 since, man, I was in, I guess, middle school, somewhere around that. And loved it at the time. Thought, like, uh, I think on GameCube primarily, but it was pretty fun on Wii too. Cause I had a friend that um, had a Wii and it obviously uses the motion controls to shoot name, which worked really well for that game specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I'm super pumped for this. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of, it, it looked like kind of like I assumed it would. Um, a little, to be honest, a little almost more cartoony, I think, than the two remake did. And I don't know if that make, if that's going to make sense to anyone else, but there's something about it where it just felt a little bit more campy, um, which I think it should, than, than two, um, the remake for two, that is. So um, it's like some of the enemy types maybe kind of do that with their goofy tentacles and things sprouting on people's heads and well, the setting too, as opposed to a city, you're more like in the, like the yeah, back in a lot of different kinda. places. Yeah, but yeah, no, I'm psyched that this is coming. Um, it's a good year for horror games overall. Well, so we we saw Leon Kennedy, we saw Ada Wong. I don't know who the Latino guy was that they showed. I've never, I'm not familiar with him in my very rudimentary understanding of of Resident Evil lore. The main girl, I'm not familiar with either. Like the girl with the messed up eyes or whatever. The blonde girl that Leon's, like, escorting. Oh, yeah, Ashley or whatever. Yeah. It's only some touchstones for me there, but I am interested. We got the final one. The 15-minute gameplay demo for Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. I'm going to go through all of the information we learned, or at least the stuff that I thought was was interesting that we learned on. And then I want to talk about your thoughts on it, because I know this is one you're kind of, you go back and forth on from time to time. And I know you love Rocksteady and, and DC and how you feel about it, so... First up, third-person action shooter set five years after Batman Arkham Knight. This is something we didn't know. We didn't know if it was if it was canonical and chronological to the Arkham trilogy, so that's a, a new bit of information there. Two, Lex Luthor was revealed. We didn't know. That, well, we assumed he was in the game, but we didn't know. Uh, Traversal looks fluid and fun, unclear if it makes combat less meaningful, which we'll get to later. Special moves, actions, in addition to Traversal, feel like the main way the characters feel different from one another. Doesn't seem like there's not going to be much difference in the actual shooting of the guns. Uh, Harley is acrobatic. Deadshot can hover. King Shark is a tank brute. Captain Boomerang can teleport. Those are just like specificities specificities that I, I wrote down. Uh, support squad that you'll run into in the game includes Penguin, an original character named Hack, Toy Man, which I thought was pretty funny that they showcased how he's going to like mess with small toys to give you gadgets, and then Gizmo. Metropolis is detailed, large, and uniquely not Gotham. I like that as very bright and colorful as opposed to what we've seen in the Arkham trilogy. Um, six core types of guns. I didn't write all of them down, but you can, you know them, the SMG Usuals. snipers, your, your favorites, playing the classics. Uh, but they're going to have specific manufacturers, which is, I think, pretty cool. Uh, some of the ones they mentioned were Gotham Police Department and LexCorp, um, which changed the way the guns look. Uh, gear sets have bonuses, some based on villains like Bane. So if you're wearing the Bane gear set, you'll be able to get like uh, enemies to explode with the the Bane juice uh, on them and stuff like that. Will have additional effects. Probably, I'm assuming there's going to be Joker laughing gas in a gear set. I'd probably put oh, money sure. on that. They didn't mention that, but I I put money on that. 
Uh, Gear-based progression, you can upgrade stuff. Aesthetics not tied to gear score. Uh, the HUD is pretty simple and clean. Uh, in single player, the other three members are AI controlled, which we'll get to. Uh, and you can swap between characters between missions. The quote unquote, and this is from their words, true experience with, is with four players. Uh, they're going to be providing the game with post-launch content, including new playable characters, missions, and cos uh, cosmetic only battle pass. And lastly, Flash reveals to Wonder Woman via the lasso of truth that the Justice League needs to die. I think that was the best part of the trailer, in my opinion, was that story beat at the end where Wonder Woman comes in to save them and she lasses him and she's looking for the truth and he basically tells her the truth is you need to kill us. And I thought the reactions were really good. I think the like the story-to-story -story stuff in this game, Dom, could be really good. All of my worries have to do with the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay. That's uh, too similar sometimes because, yeah, by the end of the trailer, I was also like, engaged enough in, in, in the story and like, oh man, and I like this Flash. He's kind of a dick. Um, obviously the whole brain control thing, but um, yeah, I was a little bit interested in, in the, the, like those cutscenes look really good too. Like the characters look great and all that. Yeah. But the, uh, the but way to they... Point real quick, it looks great when it's up close, but you lose that because a lot of the game yes. takes place from such a wide out camera angle. It doesn't look as pretty then. So I mean, I guess, yeah, starting with that is like, I was a little... I mean, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because it, it really makes sense for how it's been described. And, like, I think in that last trailer, like it, it kind of, even though it was cinematic, I can kind of see, like, how, like, this gameplay matches to that last trailer. Because, um, yeah, it's very uh, superhero-y. Um, you know, very action-y, very small. You know, like you said, wide, um, pulled-back camera angle. But, like... Just you're zipping around, flying through the air, jumping around, and just shooting like crazy. And it just was, I don't know, I didn't necessarily expect it to be like that. I do, I, I get that that kind of captures, like, thinking of, you know, the Suicide Squad movies. And that, that's kind of how, you know, that team interacts. It's kind of like a lot going on. They're chaotic. <laughs> it's chaotic, yeah. right? There, there, There's teamwork, but it's like a weird chaos kind of teamwork. And... It does, I, I honestly, I I have to say, it does kind of, like, give off a similar vibe as, at least what those movies did, as far as how they're, how these fights go. And it's, there's always, yeah, they're always fighting, like, many enemies as well. So, like, it fits. Um, it's just, I don't know if it always fits, like, oh, okay, so I guess Harley Quinn is, like, grappling around basically to the extent that Spider-Man would, right? Okay. I mean, sure, if... Well, they were all injected with like a super serum, right? Because you see that even okay. in the trailer, Amanda Waller has like that green thing and they're all fighting for it. And it's like, that's the only way you can even see these people competing with the Justice League. You know sure. what I mean? Which, you know, I get, you know, whatever whatever makes sense, that's a little bit comic booky. Um, But if it works, it works to like justify like that kind of movement and so on and power. But whatever, I think that's okay. I think that can be okay. Um, If that's if it's fun uh it didn't really look fun to me <laughs> you know all that being said and i didn't really look that fun kind of looked a little not even necessarily generic but kind of just nah here's the sad truth this game is dc and marvel's avengers for better or worse even the stuff they talked about new playable characters post-launch new missions cosmetic yep. only battle pass avengers the thing is i really like the avengers story for all the other issues that that game had, I really liked the story. And 
like we talked about how it caught us at the end, I think that this game could end up having a good story that's mired by everything else around it. And I think a lot of people are just going to be like, hey, I'm just going to watch the, the, the Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League movie on YouTube where people cut up all the, the story yeah. content and put it into a thing because they just don't want to deal with the rest of it. And obviously there's going to be DC try, uh, tryhards, diehards uh, hopping into it. And I do think there's parts of this game that look fun, but as a collective, it just, I don't know, man. It's it's a tough sell for people. Even when you got like diehard DC fans like Greg Miller from Kind of Funny being like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Or even you, if somebody who's like loves Rocksteady as a developer, it's, it's tough, man. And... I, I don't know. In terms of like critical reception, this not to say this game will review poorly, but looking at everything, it has a makings of something to where I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out and it reviews with sixes. I assume it's going to review with a lot of sevens and maybe eights, but there's some weird makings there, Dom, where like maybe the systems don't all work that well. Maybe the story isn't as good as we anticipate it being. Maybe there's a ton of bugs. My big worry is when they say that the true experience is four-player and that when yep. you play single-player, it's AI-controlled, that's not going to be great because how often am I going to have to try to... Like, if there's an objective that needs to be done and what if there's a bug to where the characters don't go to the place they need to or what if it becomes overwhelming? I don't know. It's There's going to be a lot of difficulty issues there. Um, the part I've mentioned too, traversal looks fluid and fun, but I'm unclear if it makes combat less meaningful. You kind of mentioned that of like the chaos of it's cool to be moving around and zipping around and I'm teleporting with Boomerang and I'm ziplining around with Harley Quinn. But at what point is it me just shooting mindless people and I doesn't actually, the combat isn't engaging, which is disappointing considering how fun the Arkham combat is, you know? So, it's a And bummer. then you get into, yeah, I, I think the, the true experience quote to me is a big deal because usually in things like this, the developers will say something like, and it's just as good playing single player, right? They'll try to tell yeah. you that. And you always take that with a grain of salt. Sometimes they're not wrong, but usually they're exaggerating. And it's better, it's much better um, playing multiplayer for these types of games. So the fact that they didn't even like try to lie or exaggerate, um, but just straight up said that that's the true experience is with three other friends. I'm like, well, I mean, you basically just told me that like I won't be getting the true experience if I buy your game. So I'm kind of like, you, you kind of unsold it for me with that a lot. Like, that's on top of everything else. Well, you've they follow about, up, but... There's nothing like getting four people in the same party and taking on Metropolis. It's like, dude, I, I get it. I don't have many friends. <laughs> you know, yes, exactly. <laughs> I feel attacked. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, I don't know. I, I, don't I think know. there's a chance. There's a chance. Um, part of it might be contingent on like you and I playing together. <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. I um, mean, it's a big if if I get it at launch, but who knows, man? Same here. Yeah. Yeah. If it if it surprises us and, like, review scores are, are kicking it and people say, no, it actually is fun to play, and, like, and the story's good, I'll be like, okay, then I'm in. But yeah, cross play just... cross progression is going to be important, too. Oh, yeah. they sh If they could do that, that would be really helpful. And it, it kind of makes me wonder, too, because you're comparing it to uh, Marvel's Avengers, that game, um, then obviously this is... This is different. It's, it seems like it's the same in so many ways, but different in that like it's the Suicide Squad, so we have literal villains. Because they could have done um, the Justice League, right? They could just like they did Marvel's Avengers. Like why not, right? Um, but I think like the even even 
like you want to know my theory marketing wise i feel like suicide spot is kind of holding a little bit higher regard right now um i don't know i think the reason they chose suicide squad is because you can't have the justice league counting guns you're right because that changes that would change big time how the gameplay is um because that wouldn't that would be weird. And if you can have everybody holding guns, that goes into the whole cosmetics and gear and all of that stuff. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't think of it like that. It's yeah, a very have... cynical assumption, but yeah. I think that's... And it's just different. Like, you... I, I hope that that's certainly got to be a big part of it, but also is like, well, these are the characters we want to use because like, we feel that we can make them more fun in their banter and stuff, and it could just be a more fun story than... So like I can only picture like if this was a Justice League game like it would be it would be very a generic feeling story and how they interact I just I I would not be excited about that at all um, especially because the hero off games of... need to be focused on a singular hero right to tell their perspective on a story yeah so like when you group them up it kind of takes away from that and it's specifically for the Justice League too where the Avengers are kind of all at the same power scale better or worse like obviously there's like the Hulks and Thors of the world. But, like, generally, they're, like, similar. It's always going to be weird if you let people in a video game, one person gets to be Batman or Wonder Woman who are fine in their own right, but then somebody gets to be Superman, which feels like a cheat code, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think it does introduce, like, yeah, here's where it could get cool. Because one of the things I noticed in the gameplay was, oh, we're shooting those big purple orbs. That, oh, my God. I can just picture that being, every time they showed it, it was like a couple bullets and then it explodes. But let's be honest, that thing was probably a bullet sponge for 20 fucking minutes, yep. right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Or there were 10 of them and that was the mission. You know what I mean? There's and one that, on the bottom, one on each arm, one on the back. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole thing. Which is just makes my eyes roll because I could see what they were doing there trying to make it seem like it was a small thing and it quickly explodes. But that has me concerned. Like, I'm not really into that. But when you have, you know, large scale boss fights around Justice League members like yeah, those man. have so much potential to be cool as fuck like and it could be like um very scripted parts of it or like very sp- specific things you have to do like fighting the flash like that would be something you had to plan out how to do that and same for the rest of them like I'm really curious to see like what some of those fights look out look like um like the Batman fight like what's that gonna be like um you like reward hopefully. the player for going through the less fun parts with something that's like oh yeah. this was worth the last two and a half hours of shooting globs purple clubs <laughs> exactly because that's like where i think it has the most potential to be something that is good or, or really great is like those boss fights have the potential to be great like your four characters fighting superman like that could be epic it could be terrible too but it could be incredibly epic and and fun i could see that happening or it could just be you're only shooting big purple circles that are bullet sponges yeah let's see <laughs> my other worry is if you're playing a single player like is it the is the best experience only playing as deadshot or harley single player and if you play as king shark or like captain boomerang it's not as fun or, or good or easy it's like way more obtuse or, or more difficult because my big worry is if you play this game single player as king shark you're going to have a hard time because he is more of the tank, the brute, he's not as explosive in his movement, which means you're probably going to take a lot more damage, which means you're way more worried about the AI helping you in situations like that. So then you get to a point where, like, why would I ever be King Shark? Let me just be Harley Coon or Deadshot. I can actually get through these things easier. That's my one worry as well. 
Where King Shark might be the character that's dependent on the quote-unquote true experience. Which is especially a bummer if, like, maybe King Shark is your favorite character, which... I mean, he's my be... favorite out of these four. I love King yeah. Shark. <laughs> I was going to say, which which I, which I totally get, because that guy's funny. Um, in in the James Gunn Suicide Squad, they, like, all the characters in that movie were great to me, to be honest, but the, the shark guy, for sure. She's just... I'm, I'm freaking 100 years old. I'm sorry. The shark guy. Oh, the um, old shark guy. I saw him in that Pokemon's <laughs> once. Yeah, exactly. On my Nintendo. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that that's a good point. Is how different, but then on the opposite note, is like, is if if the characters are so similar to where they did have parody, then it's like, well, that's boring though, because like, what's the point of having different characters then if they're just exactly yeah. different skins on the same type of gameplay? So that's a hard balance, and it's a hard thing to do. So like, I I do feel for them. They're like it's Rocksteady, and the ex- so the expectations are high, and they're really going for the moon here. Like they're really shooting for the stars. Um, and I'm a little scared that it's not going to work out well for them. It feels like a three for us, one for you situation where they got their trilogy and WB is like, well, uh, you got to make one for us. Got to make us one of those, one of those looter shooters. Oh, man. Especially under the new management, WB, David Zaslav or whatever, that dude doesn't know his head from his ass. Allegedly. I don't want to get sued. Uh, he allegedly doesn't know his head from his ass. Uh, anyways, that was the state of play. Let's give it a letter grade. I got mine ready to go. Do you got yours? Uh, yeah, I'll say C+. Plus. Wow, that's exactly what mine was. The reason it's a C+, plus, and you probably give the same reasons, I think they set expectations accordingly. I just don't think the content was there. So, like, I'm not going to knock them too much because they did prepare us for what was going to be shown. But in the same sense, just because you said five PSVR 2 games were there and none of them sold us on the actual hardware, or, yeah, that doesn't give it a pass necessarily. And the Suicide Squad, honestly, I think if that would have showed off tremendously, I think this could have elevated it to a B or an A. But yeah. because it was a bit middling, there was some, oh, that's, that's exactly interesting parts, but also thinking. some yikes parts, I think, you know, lands it says C+. That's exactly what I was thinking was, yeah, because uh, like a, such a big chunk of the pie of this state of play was. A third? A whole third, yeah, exactly. So, like. When one third of it is just one game, like that game needs to really impress. And it kind of was just like, yeah, maybe we'll see, right? Like we just got the talking about. So that's where I was like, it was technically good though. I mean, they had some cool stuff. It wasn't, you know, just a bunch of stuff we're not interested in. Like sometimes it's, yeah, like those niche super Japanese anime type games um, that we have, we don't care for. So, and obviously like when I get into that, it's like a subjective rating. Sure. But. Yeah, th- that's yeah. the whole point, though. It is subjective. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. But a Just good a presentation reminder, has something for everybody. So even if there's some stuff yeah. that isn't in there, there should be stuff we're glowing about. And that wasn't necessarily is the it? case. So, yeah. Yeah, so C+, like, not terrible. You're going to pass. But, you know, you're probably not top of the class either. The thing with this, though, is this being as bone dry as it was, my expectation for that showcase now, barring if it gets announced, I'm not saying if it doesn't get announced, I'm going to be pissed, but... The moment it does get announced, my expectations are going to be set pretty high because I'm expecting some stuff that wasn't, you know what I mean? Like the Final Fantasy 16 is obviously Marvel Spider-Man. Like that one needs to deliver and we'll see. Let's talk about what we've been playing. So I, I uh, played both of the demos, Dom. Oh, I nice. played Sea of Stars only for like 20 minutes because I hopped in. I was like, God, I love this. I don't yeah. want any more. I'm like, just whatever. Um, I'll that about Traveler 2. As soon as I what died, did? I popped out in Sea of Stars. That was like the same thing for me. Like <laughs> I was in there, I'm like, this is cool. So as soon as I died once, I was like, you know what? 
We'll save it. Yeah, I'm good. I don't need to be sold anymore. I'm I'm Gucci. Yeah. Uh, so Octopath Traveler two, I started up. I chose. Can you guess what character I chose to start with? That there's like, one ninja? that was definitely Jared Bait out of all of them. There was one that was like, "This is Jared Bait." Really? I'm gonna. It's been a minute. Did you now, read like... the descriptions for all the characters? Yeah, for like half of them, I more skimmed, and like a couple, I actually like got that. Like I immediately found interesting. I like actually read like three times over. Um, so, so there was a the... young girl who captures animals and uses okay. them. Okay, yeah, a little jungle girl. I was mm-hmm. like, you're telling me I can be a Pokemon trainer? So, yeah. All right, okay. I'll, I'll go to that one. So I started that one up. That one was really fun. Um, I played up until the part where, well, you wouldn't know, but I played maybe like an hour and a half-ish. Turns out the demo's for three total hours, which is pretty cool. Yeah, okay. Um, I thought that's what this one was. Yeah. It was a timer. So I played for about an hour and a half, enjoyed it. Um, I'm in a place with Octopath Traveler 2 where it's definitely a game I'm going to play this year. But I'm in this weird spot. I know they don't connect narratively, but Octopath Traveler is already on Xbox, and it's like a way easier way for me to play. Whereas with like Octopath Traveler 2, part of me wants to wait for it to come to Xbox, and then I'm like, how long is that going to be until it comes to Xbox? Well, and also, it is leaving Game Pass, I believe, like soon. At the end of the month. Yeah, I'm already okay. resigned to maybe buying it. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So who knows there? But I definitely enjoyed my time with Octopath Traveler 2. Music, the everything you said last week ranged true with the art style. It's so gorgeous. So cool. I would probably at this point prefer Sea of Stars art style, but it's honestly like like 10A and 10B. Like they think they're both great. It just for me, I think the aesthetic of Sea of Stars is a little bit more captivating to me. Honestly, I think it's because we haven't seen we've seen stuff similar to that, but we haven't seen something specifically like that. Whereas Octopath like Traveler 2, we've already seen a lot of HD 2D stuff, so it's like, it's not as new. Uh, it doesn't take away from how beautiful it is, but... Right. Just a little less fresh now, after a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I played I played three games this week, uh, and I'll explain why it ended up being three. So, first up, Chained Echoes. Are you familiar with this game? Yeah. I, <laughs> I was going to suggest it to you, actually. <laughs> Did you already beat it? No, no, but I... Oh, okay. I... I Heard of it, looked into it, have it downloaded because I did turn on Game Pass again. I'll get into that later. But yeah, I was going to, I learned all about this game, this Chained Echoes game, and I was going to tell you about it, but you already are on it. Okay, so I'm not I'm not going to go too much into the game because I don't want to spoil it for you. But I'm about two and a half hours in, really enjoying it. Honestly, it's like the perfect, and maybe this is why I'm not super excited of hopping and talking about Traveler 2 anytime soon because I think this is kind of, uh, feeding that desire for for sea of stars uh the characters are really cool i think the way the combat were are you familiar with the combat at all um maybe not specifically whatever you're about to say okay so uh in combat there's a bar on the top of the screen called the overdrive meter okay so imagine a long bar meter and the first like 10 percent of it is red the last 10 percent of it is yellow and all of the middle is green okay so you start each combat in the red, and every move you do either moves the needle up or down the bar. And when you're in the green, it's called overdrive, and your your attacks are more damaging. Uh, just It's like the most effective part of combat is staying in that overdrive. Now, obviously, the bar is pretty big, so you can do a bunch of moves increasing where you are on the bar, 
for a while, but there comes a point where you need to manage it of like choosing a defensive stance or using an item or doing an attack that maybe is a buff or a debuff that lowers your spot on the bar. So part of combat is managing your position on the overdrive bar, which is pretty okay. cool. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. It gives me shades of uh, Child of Light a little bit. Different, uh, uh, but yeah, similar vibes where it's like there's an additional like meter that you have to kind of deal with during combat. Um, there's also a system in which you switch out characters in battle. So like you have a roster of four characters and you can attach a partner character to them. And I think there's, I'm assuming there's eight total characters you encounter. I've only encountered six of them so far. And you attach a partner character to them. And basically what that allows you to do is shift that character in during the middle of combat, which is funny because it's reminiscent of the melodies of still game. I was playing down with the, um, anthropomorphic dogs and cats. Remember that game? Oh, I showed you yeah. where you have partner characters and they build up combo meters and stuff. You don't necessarily do that in this, but if your character gets staggered, you can't attack with them until you switch them out, uh, which is a big part of combat. And obviously some characters have attacks that are more effective against certain types of enemies, yada, yada, yada. It's very RPG in its systems, and I'm really enjoying it for that. So I'm excited to see you hop in as well. I don't want, like I said, I don't want to go too much into it. I doubt you have any questions that wouldn't be answered by when you start it. No, yeah, what I understand is it's um, intentionally meant to be kind of a, a successor to a lot of the um, SNES RPGs. Yeah. Um, so that that sounds exactly like what you described from what I understand. Um, those two have been like, that was just a minute before me. Just a minute. I missed that on the SNES <laughs> and, and the uh, PS1. The characters have really good personalities. I think sometimes in RPGs there's characters that can kind of feel like the same typecast, like they kind of fill in the same like trope. There's a couple of characters that seem similar, but once you hear them talk, it's like, oh, this is your thing, this is your thing. And uh, so far I'm getting invested in each of their backstories because they do the cool thing in games like this where at the beginning of the game, you're switching back and forth between the characters in their specific stories for like the first maybe hour of the game. And then there comes a point where they all converge into the same area and get grouped up together, which is really cool. Um, so excited to see where that goes. Uh, next up, I've put about an hour into Atomic Hearts, Dom. There we go. Have you played you... this at all? I booted it up and uh, only spent like five minutes in it before I had to stop. So... But... Yeah, so I'm curious what you got for after an hour. So it's very Bioshocky, which I like because we knew that going in, but I was curious yeah. to see how it would be going into that. It's very, it starts off as a very utopian Russia. There's cities in the sky, um, to a point where I'm like, oh, is this kind of propaganda uh, or not? Uh, who knows? But obviously, it all falls apart. So, anyways, uh, you go through the first opening. It feels very Bioshocky. They're introducing you to this world. There's like a hint of like maybe everything isn't as good as it seems here. There's some. There's some comments people make. There's some stuff going on. Some of the robots don't look all that well. They look a little too weird. Like they, one has like an eye slightly off kilter. Uh, one is moving in a way that doesn't seem human, even though it's meant to present itself as very human. I will say, beautiful. This is one of the, like, it's one of the most gorgeous games I've played on my Series X. Uh, the visual fidelity is astounding. The, 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 the textures that they use for a lot of the um, buildings and robots and stuff is phenomenal. For me so far, an hour in, I think the pluses are the visual fidelity, the characters they've introduced. I think the negatives are the voice acting of the main character. I hate it. 
And funny enough, I saw that complaint online too before the game came out. People were like, the worst part about this game is the voice actor they got to be the main character. It's just no emotion in his voice. It's just not great. That being said, this isn't a spoiler either. You meet a, a grandma early on in this game, Dom, and she's awesome. Oh, She okay. fires a bazooka. Uh, grandma All fired right. a bazooka, I'm sold. Uh, okay. Russian grandmother. Um, a lot of the other voice acting I thought has been, especially the grandma, but the main voice actor, not great. They do one of my cardinal sins of combat in a game, Dom, in which, for some reason, your character moves half speed laterally. I hate it. Yeah. I hate when games do that. Um, I've only done melee combat. I got to a part where I picked up my first, I found my first gun, but before that, it was I found an axe on the ground. Melee combat was fine. wasn't, like, great, but it wasn't terrible. I have no in- impressions on the shooting of the game, which is, like, the main thing of this first-person shooter. I've, uh, so I, I can't really say much there, but so far the world is very interesting and the game looks pretty. I just hope that the gameplay and the the main character's voice acting don't get in the way of, of it. But yeah, that's an hour in so far. Nice. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I only barely just booted it up and just saw like, oh, this I'm like floating on this little river um, in this like kind of carnival looking nice city. Like you said, like everything's so perfect. So or you, you haven't gotten to a part where you get to walk around yet? Yeah, I mean, I got, like, off of that. I'm walking up the street and I'm watching some robots dancing and some weird stuff, but... Okay, yeah. That's it. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into it. Um, but that's... um, Shoot, I think that's all I played, really, this past week. It's just the... The, the world, the world that they that. build is really fascinating, man. I'll give it that much. Like, especially for people like us who are hungry for a new Bioshock, Tom. Like, by the way, mm-hmm. where is that new Bioshock game? I guess the next Bioshock we might get should be what Judas the Ghostfire Games game Ken Levine's game yeah I don't know I'd imagine that comes out before the new Bioshock which we don't even know about yet because um, I think they said that's 2024 yeah and I couldn't be, imagine yeah. Bioshock being announced this year and then coming out next year who yeah. knows though I'd be down for uh, it but I doubt it the last thing I played might be the best thing I played this week Hi-Fi Rush I'm like oh, two sure. and a half hours into this game I love it man the I can't say anything people haven't said it before. Like, the level of animation detail in this game, the fact that it transitions from cutscene to gameplay so seamlessly, um, just the personality of the characters works. When you have a character like that who is so cartoonish in the way he expresses himself, that can come across as kind of cringy and, like, kind of off-putting when it's not nailed right, and they absolutely nail it. I love the spot, the the spot, the Scott Pilgrim vibe of the bosses, where they're very much these caricatures. I love that they they build it into that this this factory that mutates people, and that the first boss you go against is the head of production, and they make puns about being in charge of production and defects and stuff. Uh, Peppermint, the female character you're introduced to early on, and uh, 808, the little cat. It's just, it's such a source of dopamine right now for me. I'm absolutely enjoying it. I love that. I, I'm pretty good at keeping on rhythm, thankfully. But I, for me, I can even tell that even if you're not somebody who's really rhythmic, um, it doesn't punish you too much for that. Uh, I can imagine if you're like a perfectionist or somebody who is a high score chaser who is also like bad at keeping on rhythm, this would probably be a nightmare for you. But if you're somebody who just wants to play an engaging, fun game, uh, I, I'm really liking it. I like the platforming aspects, which I didn't consider being in it. Um, the collectathon nature of some of the hidden um, upgrades you can find. 
I'm really enjoying my time with it. It's I'm not surprised that this game shadow dropped to like very good critical acclaim. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's I'm glad that I figured that you were gonna get to it. Um, um, I think I don't know. I might try it out. Um, but I'm like rhythm games. Usually, I'm like, yeah, I get that for sure. But maybe this that's ain't a game I... I'm gonna sit here and try to sell to you nonstop. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but maybe that's a, that's something that like I need to like be more open to or something, and I might might like it more than I think. But we'll see. Um, but yeah. This is the first rhythm game I've played since Parappa the Rappa on the PlayStation. Oh yeah, Parappa. What an annoying rhythm game. I don't think, and I'm probably forgetting something, but I don't think I've played anything this week. It was busy, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into Atomic Heart and then a couple of uh, things on Game Pass that have been sitting in the backlog that I need to uh, finally check out. Pentiment, one of those, and Immortality. Immortality. Yep. yep. Um, um, planning on starting, at least starting that, maybe finishing this weekend with Emily, um, because I think it would be cool. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of like the top of the list right now. There's some stuff on Game Pass that has come out in the past, I don't know, year really that uh, that I want to catch it's up. It's in on. a spot now where there's like a game coming out every month that's interesting. Like, dude, in a week yeah. we get Wo Wolong, and that's the next thing. That's right. That's so that's so fast <laughs> already, man. Yeah, that might take me away from that. Might I might midway through Atomic Heart end up jumping over to Wolong and sticking with that. We'll see. It's a good time to be a Game Pass subscriber, man. Hashtag best value in gaming. Immortality is great, and I'm excited to see you hop into it with Emily because it's like a potato chip game. We're like, ah, oh, just one more. Just, just one more. I'm going to watch one more scene. I'm going to watch one more scene, connect it. And then once yeah. you're in, man, you're in a game. I'm so surprised at how that game goes places. Funny enough, you mentioned Immortality and Pentiment. Man Engage, who plays the main character in Immortality, uh, she's recently been playing through Pentiment on Twitch, which is pretty cool. Yes, there's a nice connection there. Yeah, that's it for this week's show. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you can, please follow us on Twitter. Uh, collectively, we're at CTRLINT. It's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. Individually, I'm at Jared White. That's my name, J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. -E. Dom is at OB Dom Kenobi, but the O and OB is the number zero, not the letter O. You can follow us on podcast services like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all all that stuff. Your, your podcast listening app of choice. Uh, YouTube, search Controlled Interest. will pop right up. Subscribe so you never miss a podcast. Like. Leave a comment. Let us know. Are you playing Atomic Heart? Are you excited for Wolong Fallen Dynasty? Just the games keep coming, Dom. Keep coming and they don't stop coming. Um, yeah. Hit the Other than that, we'll catch you guys uh, next week when uh, we probably have more Atomic Hearts impressions, I'd assume. Uh, catch you guys then. Bye. <laughs>